The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Colossians chapter 3. You have your Bibles, your devices, turn them on or open them to Colossians, the third chapter. If you have fat fingers like I do, I'm going to have to get used to opening those things. That was not easy for me and uh, maybe for you. So uh, we'll do that. We're going to do that way for the next few months until we have our facilities redone. So thank you for worshiping with us today. So we have, we began a series a few weeks ago in Colossians and uh, what we said is Colossians chapter two, verse seven, the key verse of this entire book says, having been firmly rooted and built up in Christ. It says, as you have received Christ Jesus, verse six, as Lord, walk in him. So we, t- we call this the first message that we preach rooted in Christ. And we saw that Christ is not only our sufficiency for salvation, but he is also our sufficiency for sanctification, which is our spiritual growth. Then two weeks ago, uh, when I last preached, we looked at as we mature in Christ and we are rooted in him, there are some things that need to be uprooted from our lives. And specifically, we talked about uprooting sexual sin and sins of the tongue, specifically anger, as was presented to us by Paul. And then last Last week, we saw that we are to replant specific things in our lives as Dave Tate preached, and he talked about things like forgiveness. If you look at chapter three, the previous verses, forgiveness, gentleness, compassion, uh, unity, and bearing with one another and forgiving one another. So we're rooted in Christ. We uproot some things. We replant other things. And this morning, we look at cultivating. There are things in our lives, specifically relationships, that need to be cultivated if we are rooted in Christ. And so if we're going to bear the right fruit, we have to cultivate the things that have been rooted in us. And specifically, Paul's going to talk about, he's going to talk about the home and the workplace. We are rooted in Christ. Relationships change, especially within the home and within the workplace. So with that in mind, let's pray. Father, thank you for the word. And now would you teach us from that word? You tell us, Holy Spirit, that you guide us into truth. So would you guide us into truth, reveal truth to us, and let us be doers of the word and not merely hearers in Christ's name. Amen. Colossians chapter 3, verse 18, wives, be subject to your husbands as a fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children that they may not lose heart. Slaves in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord, rather than men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom we serve. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong, which he has done in that without partiality. Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. So Paul is addressing, if you look all the way back in chapter 3, verse 12, it says, as those who have been chosen of God. So last week we saw he was addressing the church, those of us who are chosen of God. And we are to relate to one another with compassion, with gentleness, with kindness. We're to relate to one another, forgiving one another, bearing with one another. And that's how the body of Christ, the church, is to function in our relationships with one another. And now Paul drills down, specifically focusing on the family. It's a focus on the family, be a good name for a ministry sometime, right? Focus on the family. And so the question we have to ask is why? 
Why does Paul take all these things that need to be replanted in our lives, like forgiveness, like gentleness, like compassion, like love, like bearing with one another, and specifically apply that to the family? And I think, as I've been studying this, because perhaps that's where it's most needed and also where it's most difficult. So he focuses our attention upon relationships within the family, relationships in the workplace. And I believe it's perhaps because these things we're looking at, the need to walk with gentleness, compassion, the need to be kind, the need to forgive, the need to bear with one another, perhaps it's most difficult and most needed in the home and in the workplace. And so Paul takes the spotlight and he focuses it upon the home and the workplace. He, he drills down in these two specific areas. So first we'll talk about what he talks about first, that's the home, and then we'll move to the workplace just briefly this morning. Marriage is a wonderful thing, Amen. Marriage, if you didn't say amen and you're married, you better say it right now, okay? Marriage is a wonderful thing, amen? There we go. That's much better right there. I already saw two broken ribs the last two hours when guys didn't say amen loud enough. Uh, It's it's a great thing, but it can be difficult at times. Uh, I'm not sure who said it. They said, I think marriage is great. Without marriage, we have to fight with total strangers. So marriage, I mean, it is a great thing. If we are going to bear spiritual fruit from being rooted in Christ, we have to cultivate relationships within the family, within the home, and within the workplace. That's what Paul's going to write about. So there are specific instructions that he gives here. And by the way, I think why he does that is because specifically we want to give glory to God in our homes and in the workplace. We want to reflect the Savior, whose we are, his reputation, and we want to be a witness to the watching world. So when we adhere the admonitions we're going to see this morning in the scriptures, we give glory to God, we enhance the reputation of our Savior, and the watching world sees and hopefully wonders why we respond and react the way that we do. So ladies, I'll address you first. You ready? Ladies first and then men. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting unto the Lord. And some of you say, no, no, here we go again. You're not going to talk about that archaic thing about submission. Yes, we are. It's right in the scriptures. It's right here. So if you are going to be a woman who's obedient to the scriptures, this applies to you. Wives, be subject to your husband. Let's look at the motivation first, the end of the verse, as it's fitting unto the Lord. Your motivation to be subject to your husband, to be submissive to your husband, is because it's fitting unto the Lord. Because it's the right thing to do in God's eyes. It's fitting unto him. So let's go back and look at what it means. Why would God even establish this concept in the first place? I mean, why this concept of submission? And some of you are saying, man, I've always wanted the answer to that question. Well, hopefully we'll look at it today from the scriptures. First of all, because all the way from the beginning of creation, God has established authority. He's established a hierarchy thing for it. He created us in the imago Dei, the image of God, his image. And then after that, in that same verse, he says, so that we might rule over the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and the, and, the, and the animals on the land. So God has established that he is our head, we are made in his image, and then we have a specific role and responsibility. It's the same thing within the marital relationship. We'll look at that in detail in a second. So God has created us and made us all the way back in the garden. He has done this. He's had this type of order in, in, in everything. Secondly, ladies, it's for your protection. As I look at the scriptures and see the role of husbands and the role of wives, I think one of the reasons that that wives are to be submissive to their husbands is because we are the ones who are responsible to give an account for our stewardship as the leaders of our home. Therefore, it's for your protection. When a godly man leads his family, when a godly man leads his wife, when a godly man walks in the way of the Lord, he is protecting you. And men, one day we will be the ones to give an account to what's happened within our family, not our wives. 
And so we have, as men, the privilege and responsibility to do that. And in in, in doing that, we protect you as our wives. And so this is God's created arts, the way he has made things all the way back in the garden. Secondly, it's for your protection. And thirdly, because it really imitates the way that God related to, the Godhead relates to one another. This is the way that Godhead relates to one another. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, the title of the message is Cultivating. We're looking at relationships between husbands and wives. In 1 Corinthians eleven three, 3, he says, I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, the head of every woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. And so if you pick that verse apart with me, let's start at the end. The head of Christ is God. How is God the head of Christ? Is God the Father superior to Christ the Son? No, they're part of the same trinity, part of the same personhood, the Godhead. They are different in function. They are different in function. In fact, in Galatians chapter 3, it says there's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female. And what he's saying in Galatians 3 is we're all equal at the foot of Christ. But we have different responsibilities and different functions. Just as the Godhead is co-equal, likewise, we are co-equal before the cross of Christ, but we have different functions. We're made differently and we function differently, specifically within the church. And so we are given the privilege and the responsibility as men to lead our wives. And when we lead our wives, it's much easier for them to walk in submission to us. But ladies, as you know, sometimes it's difficult to be submissive to your husbands. And so as I was thinking through this, I thought about some obstacles to submission. Obstacles to submission. So the first obstacle that I see is a misunderstanding of what submission is. It's a misunderstanding in culture. Culture would say, well, submission is archaic. It's not right. We are equal in every way. And so why should I, as a woman, have to be submissive to a man in any way? But if you're a godly woman, you want to follow scripture, so you'll do that. But I think what culture teaches is that submission is the idea of being beat down. It's husbands beating down their wives, maybe not physically, but emotionally. It's, it's that whole king of the castle mentality. You know, Bubba brings home the bacon and mama does everything else. And that is not the biblical concept of the way that a home functions. It's not a king of the castle mentality. It's not dictator mentality. It's not, uh, it's not a master-slave relationship. Remember way back in the day, there, there was a program called I Dream a Genie. Anybody remember that program? You guys are way too young. It came in black, probably black and white days. I can't. But, but, you know, he's an astronaut. He finds a genie on the beach or whatever it was. And, and she comes home with him. Her name is Barbara Eden. And, and, and so... So her response to everything her master would ask of her was what? Yes, master. Yes, master. Yes, master. Sadly, a lot of homes function that way, where the man thinks he is the master and she is his slave. And I'm going to tell you, Bubba can get up and get his own snacks and get his own groceries. He can do whatever else. That's not what we're talking about from a biblical worldview. What we're talking about is a woman who places herself under the leadership of her husband and a husband who leads his wife well, which brings us to the second point, second obstacle to submission. I, I think the second obstacle is not being filled with the Spirit. Ladies, if you struggle with submission to your husband, maybe it's because of a misunderstanding of what submission is, but maybe it's because you're not filled with the Spirit. And said, Pastor Gary, that's harsh. No, it's biblical once again. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Do not be drunk with wine, for this is excess dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Then there are three results of being filled with the Spirit. Praise, thanksgiving, and submission. That's Ephesians 5, 18, 19, 20, and 21. So the third thing is we are to be submissive to one another. I am to be submissive to Bev. Bev is to be submissive to me in the body of Christ. 
But then Paul goes on the next verse. It's the same verse that we see in Colossians chapter 3. This is Ephesians chapter 5. It says, wives, be submissive to your husbands. And so what Paul is doing, he's developing the concept just as he's in Colossians. This is how we relate within the body of Christ. And then let me give you an example of how it should take place. That's the family. So the body of Christ relates this way. That's the macrocosm, the big picture. The microcosm is the way the family operates. And so if you're filled with the Spirit, we should walk in submission to one another and then why specifically submissive to your husbands. And so if you're not a submissive woman to your husband, maybe it's because you do not walk in the Spirit. Thirdly, a strong-willed wife or woman. Uh, sometimes the obstacle to submission is your strong will. How many of you guys are married to a strong-willed woman out there? Let me see your hand. Yeah. I watched a guy first hour ask his wife, are you strong-willed or not? <laughs> when she gave him permission, he raised his hand. There's the answer right there, okay? Hey, babe, am I strong-willed? What do you think? I mean, what do you think? I got to ask permission for that. So, but, but here's the reality. Ladies, sometimes you're difficult to lead. Some of you are difficult to lead. Now, I, I like a little Tabasco in my gumbo, if you know what I mean. I mean, uh, Bev may be a tiny little thing right there, but she can be feisty at times, okay? So... Uh, I, I like the fact that uh, I, I, I lead her, but there are times when she challenges me, not in a sinful way, but, hey, what about this, babe? Have you thought about this? Now, but if you're a lady who's always questioning your husband, if you're a lady who is difficult to lead and won't follow, that's an obstacle, obstacle to us as men. I pick on guys all the time, so ladies, I'm picking on you. I, I know I'm on thin ice right here, okay? But, but here's the reality. Some of you are difficult to lead. A lot of times I challenge men, hey guys, the minimal things you can do is at the end of the day, take your wife's hand, pray with her. Thank God for today and pray for tomorrow. Ladies, if your husband does that, don't correct his theology when he says amen, okay? <clears throat> don't say, hey, you should have said this or you forgot this. <clears throat> but you thank God for a man who is willing to lead you in some way. So obstacles to submission misunderstanding, not being filled with the spirit, a strong-willed wife, an unloving or passive husband. Gentlemen, if you are spiritual squids, a squid has no backbone, backbone. If you are spiritual squid, that is, you have no spiritual backbone, you are not leading your wife, you're not modeling Christ, you're not an example to her, you make it an obstacle for her to walk in submission to you. You make it an obstacle. When, when we are not leading our wives, when we are not giving them someone to follow, it becomes a problem. Now, submission is biblical. John Piper writes this, Jesus did nothing of his own initiative. He did nothing of his own invention. He did nothing of his own will. He did nothing in his own strength. Over and over, Jesus would say, I've come to do what? The will of the Father. And so you model Christ when you walk in submission to your husbands. You model Christ that way. And so I pray that as women of God who walk with Christ and honor Christ and are spirit-filled, that you will walk in submission. And gentlemen, I pray that we will be men who honor our wives by leading them spiritually. The next verse, husbands, love your wives. Gentlemen, you pull out your toes. I just stepped on your wife's toes, so let me have a shot at yours. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Now, we're familiar with this word for love. I feel like I've preached this a thousand times. The, the Greek word for love here is what? It's the it's the biblical word. What is it? Agape. It's the agape word. It means an unconditional love, an unconditional love. 
In Ephesians chapter 5, that love is spelled out for us even in more detail. You might want to go back in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. He teases out what that unconditional love looks like. We just have the word in Colossians. He teases it out a little further. So agape love is, first of all, a sacrificial love. It's a sacrificial love. When you look at Ephesians 5, it, it talks about Christ and what he did. Husbands, love your wives uh, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Do you hear the sacrifice there? Gave himself up for her. Christ went to the cross for the church. Christ went to the cross for us. And so what he's saying is that if you're going to love your wives as Christ loved the church, you're going to love her in a sacrificial way. You're going to love her and give yourself up for her. So that's the command to us as men. It's a sacrificial love. And I don't know what that means for you in your house. I don't know what it means for you as a man, as a husband, to give something up for your wife. I I don't know what that looks like, but it's a sacrificial type of love. For some of us, it may be less time in the golf course, less time at the deer stand. It may be less, less time in front of a TV or a computer. It's becoming a person, a man, who gives his heart to his wife. Jim Dobson, in one of his books, says, I had a friend who was a successful businessman in his mid-50s. His wife died of a heart attack, tragically, quickly. I remember standing at the graveside and him weeping, saying, I gave her everything except myself. He provided for her. I gave her everything except myself. Gentlemen, what do we need to give our wives? You see, a sacrificial love sacrifices stuff for our wives. Husband, love your wives. Agape love is not only sacrificial, it's purifying. It's a purifying love. We are the bride of Christ. It talks about the purity of Christ. It talks about that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle, but holy and blameless. It's a purifying love. I talked about that at length two weeks ago. Talked about sexual purity in marriage. And if you weren't here, you can go back and listen to it. And uh, when we talk about that, we recognize we as men are called to love our wives purely, just as Christ is pure for us. It's a caring love. In Ephesians 5, it says we are to nourish and cherish our wives. The word cherish there is the concept of treasuring something, of treasuring something. Gentlemen, what do you treasure? It may be a car, it may be a truck, it may be a rifle, it may be a shotgun, it may be some golf clubs or a tennis racket. What do you treasure? When you treasure something, what do you do with it? You treat it special, don't you? You wax it, you, you wash it, you wax it, you, 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 uh, you polish it up, you, you make sure it's ready for the season that dove season just opened, deer season going to open. You treasure something, you value it. You know where it is, you, you take care of it. We treasure our wives, that's what we do. We treat her special. Every wedding I do, I use, I use that concept. I, I look at that young man and said, young man, you're being given a treasure today. That treasure is someone's daughter. That treasure is a wife that you will take today for the rest of your life. When you've got a treasure, you cradle it and you care for it. You don't scream at treasure, you don't holler at treasure, you don't throw them around. But you treat treasures with gentleness and let them know they're special. And that's us, guys. That's us. That we have brides that God has given to us. They are treasures before us. And we have the privilege, we have the privilege of treating them that way. And not only that, but it's an unbreakable love. 
When we look at Ephesians 5, the parallel passage to Colossians chapter 3, it it talks about uh, the fact that Christ will never leave us. He is our groom. We are his bride. He will never divorce us. He will never leave us. It's an unbreakable love. We stand before God, and when we take the vows of marriage, we promise to never put us under what God has joined together. Now, for some of us, that's happened. We've put us under what God joined together. There's been confession. There's been repentance. You broke the marital vows and you knew it was wrong and you're right before God now. Some of you in the midst of thinking about breaking those marital vows, I'm here to plead with you that God in his goodness, God in his grace, God in his mercy can give you the strength to reconcile what has been broken. And I pray that you'll consider that long and hard before you consider anything else. It's unbreakable. Last couple hours, I did this. I asked uh, for a display. So, uh, uh, folks, so if you have been married, you're here with your spouse, and you've been married uh, 25 years or longer, would you stand up? 25 years or longer, would you stand up? Look at this. That's amazing. And let's thank these folks. Wow, a bunch of them. So keep standing. I want you to keep standing with your spouse. If you've been married 30 years or longer, keep standing. Okay, they're going down. Uh, If you've been married 35 years or longer, keep standing. 35 years or longer. Look at this. 40 years or longer, keep standing. 40 years or longer. Uh, 45 years or longer, keep standing. Still got a few out there. There we go. Look at that. Yeah, give these folks a hand. 45. How many of you, if you have celebrated your golden anniversary 50 years or longer, keep standing. You've celebrated your 50th anniversary. Yeah. So how many years? How many years do you guys have? How many? 55 years. That's amazing. Wow. Back over here, guys. How many years? You got to holler at me. 50 years. There we go. Back behind you. How many years? 58. I want y'all to keep standing, though. 58. There you go. We're not going to break it off right now, okay? We're going to keep standing. Uh, Jez is over there. How many years? 57 years, there we go. Who's over there? Flanagan's how many years? 64. Wow. Now you look at that couple back there. She's about 50 years younger than him. Okay, Dean, how many years? 54, wow. Sanders, how many years? Double nickel, 55. Double nickel, 55, that's great. Okay, last hour there were two couples over here. I didn't see them. They're on my blind side. Anybody over here? Nobody. Okay. You guys got to stay married longer, okay? Whatever the deal is over here. So look at these men. They, they would all be in jail right now. Those women, were, they got married when they were about 10 or 12 years old. So we got a bunch of ugly guys and good-looking women. Y'all sit down. Thank you. Here's what I want to say. If you are rooted in Christ, my friends, you cultivate the relationship that God placed you in. That's what bears spiritual fruit. That's what Paul's saying here. Not only that, but you do it in the home as parents and children. So uh, he addresses children next. Children, do, be obedient to your parents in all things, not some things, all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. The motivation, if you want to please God, you are to obey your parents. Now, the word for child here indicates someone who is still living with their parents. That's the concept, or still financially dependent upon their parents. So if you're in college, uh, you're financially dependent upon your parents, I dare say. So that includes you. How many of you would put your class, uh, classify yourself as children? You're still living at home or financially dependent.
Parents, let me see your hand. Raise them high, keep them high. I've got parents saying, raise your hand right now. Look at that. That's pretty cool over there. Okay, how many of y'all over there? Bunch of y'all over there? Super. So this is for you, okay? This is your verse. It says, children, be obedient to the Lord. This is well-pleasing. In all things, it's well-pleasing to the Lord. You want to please Christ, you obey your parents. That's what it says. Now, you know what the Greek word for obedient means? It means to argue with. That's what it means. Children, argue with your parents. (laughs) We're okay over here? Okay, that is not what the Greek word means. It means to listen with the intent to follow through. That's what it means. For instance, we, uh, my kids grew up in a two-story house. The two bedrooms of the kids were upstairs. We were downstairs. We wanted to be separated from that at least for a night every night. So that's why we put them upstairs. But uh, they would, if they had something that needed to go upstairs and they weren't going upstairs, they'd stand it on the stairwell. And uh, so I would turn to Daniel and say, Daniel, your shoes are on the stairs when he was headed upstairs. That didn't mean I was just not supplying him with information, okay? In his mind, that's what it meant, okay? He thought I was just giving him information. Uh, what I meant was, Daniel, shoes on the stairs, take them upstairs with you. Now, oftentimes he forgot. I mean, he's the absolute mind. Last time we wrote his name in his coat was his fourth year of medical school. That's not a joke either. I mean... When he became, he became a type 1 diabetic in college, I thought, he's going to die. He'll never remember to take insulin. He's going to die. I mean, but when, when I said your shoes are on the stairs, what I meant is your shoes are on the stairs. When you go upstairs, please take them upstairs. Okay? That's what I meant. In all the years he lived with us, that never registered. Okay? He thought I was giving him information. Shoes are on the stairs. So, young people, when your parents are with you, your desire should be to obey them because it's pleasing unto the Lord. Now, we're not talking about sinful stuff and abusive stuff. We're talking about listening to the parents that are there because that is honoring to Christ. And in parents, it tells us, look at verse 21, fathers, and I would apply it to mothers, do not exasperate. The word exasperate is an interesting word. It means to stir up to anger. How do we stir our kids up to anger? The motivation's at the end, once again, that they may not lose heart. So our motivation is so our kids won't lose heart, spiritual hearts. How do we exasperate our kids? Helicopter moms and dads always hovering over them exasperate our kids. Parents that function out of fear exasperate our kids. You may, you may be a parent who, who, who parents out of fear, and eventually that child's going to leave that home because they feel either controlled or, or under your thumb so much that they can't wait to get away from there. We exasperate our kids when we play favorites within the home, when we favor one child over another. The list could go on and on. It says parents don't exasperate your kids because if you do so, they're going to lose heart. You remember the Old Testament, there was Joseph, the guy with the multicolored tunic, and he was favored by his father and his brothers hated him so much they sold him into slavery. If you want to begin to destroy your family, you begin to favor one kid over another. So kids be obedient Uh, children don't exasperate. And when we look at this, we recognize the importance of doing these things. We need to communicate clearly to our kids what we mean by that. As a first grader went to school, handed a note to his teacher after they had gotten their first report cards, and he said, Miss Smith, uh, I I don't want to scare you, but my dad said if my grades don't improve, somebody here is going to get a spanking. I'm going to tell you as parents, the greatest gift we can give our kids is a Christ-like example. It's husbands and wives loving one another. It's us walking with Jesus. It's us modeling Jesus. It's us going the way of Jesus. 
It's kids seeing a mom and dad have a quiet time at home. It's kids saying, hey, our family, we pray before meals in our house because we have grateful hearts. We pray in restaurants because we have grateful hearts because we appreciate what Christ has done. And we as men lead that way and show that way. I've learned in all my years that you can't expect your children to listen to your advice but ignore your example. It doesn't work that way. Your, your, your life speaks louder than your words. Another author said this, on the first day of school, a first grader handed his teacher a note, and the note read, the opinions expressed by this child are not necessarily those of his parents. <laughs> but they are. We are to leave in our children what's most important. Not most important what you leave to your children, but it's what you leave in your children. Best book Bev and I read on parenting, I think, in our era was uh, Parenting a Child's Heart. Ted Tripp, Parenting a Child's Heart, still out there, you can still, Shepherding a Child's Heart, I'm sorry, Shepherding a Child's Heart, Ted Tripp. And let me tell you that basically a thesis of that book is you focus on internals, not externals. You focus on internals, not externals. And you build into that child, through your example, trust and confidence in who the Savior is. And I trust that you're doing that. I, we use that as a, we were doing a conference two years ago at Pine Cove, and, and I use that quote, uh, what we leave in our children is more important than what we leave to our children. And uh, I told them a Christ-like example is the greatest gift you can leave your kids. And our daughter was sitting there, and I said, a Christ-like example is the greatest gift you can leave your kids and grandkids. And she said, and about $3 million. So, <laughs> she's out of luck on that one, but anyway. And finally, we're going to wrap it up right here. A uh, little section, verses 22 through 4-1. Relationships change not only in the home, but in the workplace. The workplace in that day and age was masters and slaves. Uh, it's estimated there were 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. In the cities of Corinth, Rome, and Ephesus, one-third of the population were slaves. There are seven New Testament books that deal with slavery or talk about slavery. Colossians is concerned about how we live in any situation when we're rooted in Christ. It doesn't address the evil or hideousness of slavery. But eventually it's through God-fearing men who led the charge to abolish slavery that that took place. So we're dealing with how to live under different things. It's like our friends in Ukraine under communism. How do you live under the constraints of that? And so that's what Paul's addressing here. But I want to tell you it's wrong for a person to ever own another person. Slavery is wrong. But if you found yourself in that situation, what do you do? And I like verse 23. Whatever you do, do you work heartily as unto the Lord. So I apply it in our culture this way. We as, husband, we as workers or we as masters, we as business owners, or we as those who have people working under us, we have a specific job to do, and that's to honor Christ in all we do. So if you are a person who owns a business, or you treat, look at verse 4, chapter 1. Or chapter 1 and verse 1 and chapter 4. You get people working for you. You get people working under you. You own a business or maybe your supervisor somewhere. Do you treat them fairly and justly? Do you model and reflect Christ in your business? Are you paying them a fair wage? Are you providing for them the way you should? Are you taking so much home that your people don't get what's due them? If you're an employee or maybe serving under someone, working under someone, what does your work say about your Savior? Do you work heartily, verse 23, as unto the Lord? Now, I'm a slave. I'm a slave. Scriptures teach us that a bondservant, and that's what I am, a bondslave, a bondslave to Jesus Christ is a person who has been freed from slavery but chooses to continue to serve under his master. And so in the Old Testament, they had bondservants, people who paid off the, the dues of slavery and they became free, but they chose to serve under their master. It's found in Deuteronomy. 
In fact, the mark of a bondservant, we just went over this on Thursday morning men's study, the mark of a bondservant was a pierced ear of a man and all would be driven through his ear on a doorpost and that pierced ear reminded people that he was someone's bondservant. That meant he was freed from his dues of slavery, but he chose to remain under his master. That's us. We have been freed from the yoke of slavery, but we choose to serve our master, Jesus, and so we are bondservants and the mark should be our hearts filled with the Spirit. Amen? And so I conclude by asking a question. Here's the question. How does your home, how does your work reflect the Savior? How does that happen? How does your home, how does your work reflect the Savior? St. Athanasius said this. He became, that is, Jesus became what we are, man, that he might make us what he is. That is a submissive follower of the Father. And I pray that in all your relationships, at home, at school, at work, wherever it is, that you resemble the Savior so that he'll be reflected in all that you do. Father, thank you. Thank you for the privilege of modeling Christ wherever we go. Thank you that when we are rooted in Jesus, when we're rooted in him, there are things that need to be uprooted, things like sexual immorality and anger and wrath and malice. And there are things that need to be replanted in our hearts like forgiveness and bearing with one another and compassion and gentleness and, and love and unity. And thank you for the privilege to cultivate within our home and the workplace relationships that are Christ-honoring. If you're here today and you know relationships are not the way they should be, I pray that the day is a morning of confession and change for you. There's some husbands that need to repent, some wives that need to repent, some children need to repent, some parents need to repent. Because we are not modeling Christ in those relationships. And some of us are working for a paycheck rather than working for the Savior. And some of us have responsibilities to lead others and we're not doing a good job in the workplace. Someone's not treating our people well who work for us. And I pray that true repentance would take place, which means turning away and doing differently. So, Father, make us do as the word, not just hear us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen.